0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode 21 of the Believe Knicks podcast. Matthew Miranda joined as always by Stacy Patton on an oddly optimistic day for a lot of Knicks fans in a season where they are, you know, mathematically still alive but not really And they are, I believe now, 32 and 42, eight games left. Um, But tremendous optimism around the Knicks. And and usually in this kind of a season, at this time of season, we're trying to find more expansive subjects to talk about because the game by game doesn't really matter. But uh, the Knicks won a game last night that was remarkable enough to warrant um, some more time enjoying and some more time discussing because it's one of those wins that you're thinking slash hoping slash wondering, like, can this, can this be more than a win? Like, can this be a thing that means something and, and maybe starts to show us or relevant people around the next something. So let's get into that. Um, Stacey, let's start with you and let's start with um, flowers for Emmanuel, I guess I would say, Um, despite all the, Quickly's not a point guard. The Knicks don't have a point guard. The Knicks need a point guard. Why can't the Knicks get a point guard? We just need a point guard. Despite all that, and despite no Campbell Walker, no Derrick Rose, um, I know Quickly, last night, to me, looked on a different level than I'm used to seeing Quickly. Even Good Quickly to me, usually, even for most of this year, Good Quickly was like, never hitting on all cylinders like either I felt like he'd be shooting well or he might be setting up people well or having a nice night defensively Um, but last night I really felt like was the quickly total package that his uh, fans and stands have been pushing people to wait for and and we got it last night for sure
1: yeah I mean that's the thing right like his best games at least as a rookie I think there's been plenty of games where I would say this is not the case this year but um, it was hot shooting, right? Um, and I mean, he went three for eight from three, which is you know uh, about what you'd expect. That's thirty-seven point five percent. It's about his career average. Um, but it was. I mean, there's not a lot of good clips. Um, you know, if you don't follow Tom Picklow, or I, I would imagine most of you follow the Strickland, uh, but the Strickland or Frank Barrett. He, or, um, or Ariel Pacheco. like This wasn't just a situation where he was um, just making the easy pass. He was manipulating the defense. Um, he was getting into the paint. Uh, he had a big-time finish over Bam Adebayo late, which um, certain people have called a low-percentage shot, but Jericho Sims was there for the assist. So I've never seen him, even this year in his best games, I've never seen him look control, right? Like he controlled the game when he was in the game.
0: Yes.
1: As a point guard, which is, which is what the Knicks have been missing. And which is what, um, besides maybe Derek Rose, no Knicks point guard has given them for a long time. And he just, he seemed to have the Miami heat defense on screen, right? Uh, on, on, on string. Sorry. Um, you know, telling the dance like puppets. and, Like for all of the, like, I think the, I mean, the only, the only thing that seems to maybe still be relevant as a criticism of quickly is like, well, he doesn't attack the rim the way, you know, someone like John Morant would do, or like, or even a guy like Darius Garland who is maybe more applicable to him. But in terms of pure point guard skills, he showed all of that yesterday. He was manipulating defenders off ball. He was using hesitation. He was getting wherever he... There were very few possessions where it seemed like Quickly wasn't in control of what was happening in the half court. And that's dangerous because if you add to that his natural ability, man. Um, and it, it also wasn't out of nowhere because he's been doing those, He's been flashing those kind of things for a while, but he flashed them, but he did it for a whole quarter. Um, and he scored 20 points, like... Here's a pop quiz. How many people since 2014, who has scored 20 or more points in a fourth quarter? Do you know the answer to that,
0: Matt? How many players in the NBA?
1: No, on the Knicks, sorry. On the Knicks since <laughs> when?
0: 2014. Oh, God, 2014. Have scored 20 in a fourth?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. Uh, I would obviously guess Carmelo. Um, I would guess Randall. Um, I would guess maybe, um, what's his name? One more would be, uh, why can't I think of who it is now? Oh, maybe KP.
1: Yeah, it's just Mellow and Quickly, but the the funny thing is Mellow only did it once. Wow. Quickly has done it twice.
0: Hall of Fame, baby.
1: Uh, I don't know if it means that, but, um, and like the, that's the thing. It means so much that it wasn't just the gaming as the Wizards, right? Or it wasn't a loss, right? We've seen plenty of those times when like quickly and RG will have good games and a loss. And you're like, okay, well, that's nice. Pat them on the head. yeah. But, you know, it isn't impacting anything. That was Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and being coached by Eric Spolster, who in my opinion is – Top two coach in the league right now,
0: and made the, uh, the NBA's top 15 coach of all time list.
1: Yeah, like that's a and that they are the number one to see in the East when they have Eric Spolster there, and their GM is a, a guy named Pat Riley. You might have heard of that's a content that is a team that has big designs. They're not throwing away games in March, mm-hmm. they and can't they, they they get it taken to. away from them and quickly was the catalyst. There were other people that were very important. Um, <laughs> Deuce McBride and Jericho Sims come to mind, but Quentin Grimes did a couple of big shots. Yes. Um, like how can you like? I mean, you just list off. I've done this before, but you list off the guys who contributed to that win. Forget about the guys we should be excited about. Sims McBride quickly Grimes. RJ, <laughs> I, I mentioned RJ Fifth. You <laughs> know, isn't that crazy? Like he's the best one there. Yeah. And it was, um, so,
0: it was so widespread that don't forget in the third when the Knicks were falling behind and could have fallen completely off the radar. Um, they were down 15 at the end of the third. It would have been much worse if in a quarter where they scored 24, Obi Toppin had 13.
1: Um, yeah. Oh, I didn't even mention Obi. Yeah. yeah that's so on that me. That's, that's on me. He was he definitely deserved to be mentioned. That was okay. huge.
0: and And it wasn't just, you know, Obi has made some nice moves that I haven't seen from him. There was, I think it was last night. I don't think it was the last game. I think it was last night. There was a play where he, I think, faked behind the three-point line and then dribbled baseline into a a pull-up. And you you just generally don't see Obi Toppin faking defenders, pulling up off the dribble and swishing it. He did that, um, had a couple nice-looking threes. But, you know... He, when, when, when the team wasn't having it yet, he was keeping the minute he was getting out ahead in transition. He's been very nice. And, and similar to well, what you were saying, there's about,
1: also, oh, there's, there's also so many plays. Um, I think what Tom Piccolo and Frank Barrett on Twitter have mentioned this, there's so many plays the, where the, the the Knicks will get like an open three in transition mm-hmm. and you're like, how did they get that? And yeah. it's like, Oh, Obi ran the floor. Yep. And that doesn't show up on the box score at all, by the way. Mm-hmm. But if there's people that are like, well, OB shoots 25% from three and doesn't score a ton. Um, and he's a power forward who can't shoot. And you're like, how are, but like, but his on off is really good. Yeah. The Knicks are a positive team when he's on and a negative team when he's off. And it's not just because he plays Benji and it's, it's things like that, right? You just running the floor hard has an impact. And this is not the, Shit on Julius Randall, but it's a noticeable difference. Like, I think you can say that.
0: No one would accuse Julius Randall of running too hard. Um,
1: Consistently, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Times he does, does lo yeah, and behold, it's he thing. ends up pretty well.
0: Yeah. Um, the other person who had a night I thought similar to quickly, um, in terms of looked in control, and I and I thought it was important for this player to have a strong game, like you were saying, against an elite team like Miami because his probably best performance to date was in that Houston game was Mar- um, Deuce McBride who had five, five assists, some excellent defense, um, some big plays in the fourth turning defense into offense the other way.
1: And again, someone who he said, he said after the game, I didn't realize this, but it makes perfect sense is that absolutely he has the same way that, you know, quickly has had some of his best performances against the Clippers and Lou Williams. McBride said he really patterned his game a lot after Kyle Lowry, and yeah. so it was good to see him go out not just toe toe against them, but um, really, you know, yeah, I would say he outplayed Kyle Lowry down the stretch, which I don't say lightly. I, I think Kyle Lowry is an awesome player, but I'm sure it meant a lot to him, and um, it shows what he's able to do.
0: It also shows, I think, you know, getting back to quickly what he's able to do when. You know, he knows that he's gonna be out there. He knows he's gonna get the minutes. Um, he doesn't have to worry about getting yanked if one thing goes wrong. Um That oh. lefty that lefty drive that he made late where I think he thought he got fouled and flipped it in and it went in off the glass, like that's someone operating I know I know he thought he got fouled, but
1: And I think he did for what it's worth. Yeah, but they're not calling did. they're not calling Bam on a foul for that on quickly in Miami.
0: Someone I can't remember who it was today, but somebody tweeted, and I think it's true. And <laughs> like the NBA basically spent all season like duping us yeah. into thinking they're going to start. Oh, I know football.
1: who it was. It's Mark Schindler because Yes,
0: yes, thank you. Um, they're getting back to the old ways of calling games. Um, so it's a shame that they won't, they won't be in the playoffs because they quickly probably would have drawn more. But fans. even on yeah, that play,
1: it was the, that's that's the play where I, I was also like, you know. A, part of me was like, well, if it was Ja doing that or someone, it would have been like, what touch, right? Yes. Because it's quickly, we have people saying, is it a good shot?
0: Lucky shot.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, that's just kind of, you know, then that's, you know, maybe it's, that's fair. But also, if you watch the play, Jericho Sims had Lowry on him for a, a rebound. Now, it's not to say that your offense should depend on offensive rebounds, but. Um, you know the Kobe assist was open there, and just getting it up there from quickly and drawing Bam, like he drew Bam away from the rim. That's a win on its own, right? Um, as opposed to just taking a perimeter shot with the with a perimeter defender on him. So even if you know if you if you want to just poo poo it as a low percentage shot, well, there were additional percentages that are worth considering. Okay.
0: I've been really encouraged by what some of the Knicks have been showing the intangibles of late, especially the young young players showing the awareness of things that show, I think, growth into you know better an awareness and maturity. So we talked the other night about um, Piccolo breaking down Sims, um, setting back screens in one of the recent games, and how that's a way that a player can help with spacing, even if he's not able to shoot. And quickly gets a lot of criticism, I think, because, again, because he's not a classic point guard, he doesn't get to the rim the way that, like, Derrick Rose does, um, or like a Russell Westbrook would do. But I find it interesting when you watch quickly, and it happened again in the fourth, um, not just that lefty shot, but he had a, a beautiful floater. You know, quickly gets a lot of uncontested shots in the paint, but they're floaters instead of... Journeys all the way to the cup, and I know that doesn't count the same, and I know it doesn't—it doesn't have the exact same effect bringing a defense. But simply, quickly's ability, quickly, so intelligent. I think that gets lost a lot. Like you watch him play, and like he picks up on things, you know, and and he doesn't make a lot of the same mental mistakes, you know, twice between that. Between what Sims has shown, I think over the season, Barrett, who basically is like. I think a high IQ basketball player just in general overall. Um, I think Obi's very intelligent and picks up things like with opportunity, picks things up well. One of the things I really have been happy about, I don't want to overstate it, you know, especially based on like one win last night, but I don't think the mix for a long time have been like just masterfully intuitive. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that the Knicks have been smarter than most of the league for a while. I don't think they've been dumber. I just think they haven't been remarkably intelligent. And I feel like a lot of the young players on the team now are. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's weird.
1: I think that's a really good place to start. Um, I think that it's especially relevant when you talk about Tibbs because uh Vivek Dadanya, if you don't follow him on Twitter, I highly recommend people do. But he made a good point that like the Knicks are like Tibbs' system is read and react. Um and it's worth thinking about it from that standpoint. Like, does he want the Knicks to be this slowdown ISO team when Randall's on the floor? I don't want to get into all that. But um that kind of an offense benefits from from not like smart that's tough right you know i it's i'm very hesitant to question the intelligence of nba players yeah i know but um because that can be problematic but the the ability to just make quick decisions keep the ball moving um you know instead of you know, if you get the ball on an advantage where someone is rotating towards you, are you going to maintain that advantage? Are you going to increase that advantage? Are you going to take care of that advantage yourself? The Knicks' young guys all seem to have that ability. Um, I don't think I can think of a single Knicks like RJ might actually be the worst, and he's not bad at that. But Sims was a, Sims had a couple of, and this is something where Sims. You know, um, there was some talk today and, and I had a good thread with Derek Reifer about this, who kept me a little bit sober about, you know, well, do not get so far ahead of yourself on the Jericho Sims makes Mitchell Robinson expendable tra- train Right. but Sims had a couple of passes where he just grab the rebound and immediately whip it one hand across the court to an open shooter, mm-hmm. Mitch doesn't do that. Um. Obi, for one thing, like uh, Obi, there's so many plays he has where he'll fake a dribble handoff and pass it to someone else, or he'll just catch the ball and make the extra pass. Like he does that so good. Like Obi rarely makes the wrong play. Yep. Uh, I would say the same thing about Grimes, but to a lesser extent, because there's times Grimes holds the ball. IQ is generally very good at that. Um, but it's been high variance because he's trying to adapt to being the point guard. Yeah. Um, but the young guys are all good at that, and that's what kind of makes it a little bit more damning when Tibbs won't play them because for the things he wants to do, they seem to be better equipped.
0: I was struck last night um, by how comfortable quickly looked dribbling when he was getting like half-court traps and doubles sent his way that in the past like I would have been anxious cuz Miami's a great defensive team and we're swarming him pretty hard at points and quickly I think especially earlier in his career um, has had an issue with picking up his dribble too early but as you, to just to further what you were saying earlier about just how he control and comfortably looked like it really wasn't an issue um last night at all just as a ball handler um he was he was remarkable to the to the point you just made about the irony of I mean, let's get into this, like, there is, there's this reality where the players, T- Tom Thibodeau has not had a fun week, um, commenting on the outside world, he, you can tell Tims has had it, um, and he, has made things basically saying that people don't watch film enough, and, you know, social media is the problem, not the way the Knicks are playing, um, there is something ironic about the fact that the young players seem much more adept at doing what Thibodeau wants done than the players that he clearly prefers. And I don't know, there was a good piece in the athletic today about um, Golden State dropped Kavan Looney from the starting lineup um, and replaced him with Jonathan cominga And there was a really good, good stretch in it um, where I can't remember who the writer was, but he was talking about, you know, Steve Kerr, even with all his success and capital and everything built up there, it's not an easier or necessarily popular decision in the locker room to tell a respected veteran of championship teams that he's getting benched for, you know, an 18-year-old. And but you know, Golden State understands that. You know, it, we, we we don't really care what it looks like. What matters is flexibility, and. I keep hoping that what Thibodeau is realizing as the season goes on is that this team and this roster gives him a lot more flexibility in terms of how to play than he's used to, or than he's comfortable with. Um, You've tweeted up a little bit today about um, Thibodeau in the front office. And I wanted to ask you about on that. You were basically talking about how, if I remember correctly, Thibodeau, you can't, Some people will say that like, well, yeah, Thibodeau plays the Vets, but, you know, the the Knicks paid Fournier, you know, 54 to whatever, 73 million, and they brought in Kemba, and you know, they do, and Randall's a veteran, and they have veterans, and if the front office brings those people in, you know, most teams play the players who are paid the most, or who have the best resumes. Um, So you can't really blame Thibodeau for that, but... Um, maybe you could expand a bit on what, what your response to that was and what you think of the issue there.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think it's pretty simple. Um, let's. I started with Randall the Thread, but I'll save him for later. With Fournier, um, you know, Fournier makes $18 million a year for the next three years. Um, the Hawks paid... Danilo Gallinari more than that. And they're happy to bring him off the bench because he fits better with certain lineups, right? Uh, You can argue that Tibbs was not like the free agent or the the veterans he got were not great. But you can't argue that he had to play them together the way he did. You don't have to play Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker all their minutes together. You have to play Evan Fournier and Alec Burks all their minutes together. And he did. And it exhausts. Like a good coach would at least mitigate their weaknesses. Um, a great coach would, you know, um, help them play to their strengths while also mitigating their weaknesses. Uh, Tibbs did the opposite, right? He played him all his minutes with Alec Burks and, um, Kemba Walker, and it's especially damning when you have so many good, like we saw last night. Um, Deuce has improved, and I'll I'll talk about this later. But Deuce has improved, Grimes has improved. We have three great young perimeter defenders in G- Grimes, Deuce, and Quickly, and they're all switchable, at least one to two. Honestly, I think they're one to three switchable. So that doesn't hold true as an excuse. Randall was I, I, I what would trip the throttle was. Yeah, I'll say it like it was Jonathan McRae last night who is, you know, one of my favorite people on Nick's Twitter, but he was preemptively going for like a defensive Nick stance or a defensive Tib stance. Mm-hmm. And after the game, someone talked about Obie's minutes and he said, well, shit, I guess it's Tib's fault that Randall makes a hundred million dollars a year. And I think that's such a cop out like Randall got a big contract and he is clearly the Knicks' best player. Like, I'm not closed minded to the idea that the Knicks, that, you know, there'd be blowback if Tibbs decided to bench him, but no one's talking about benching him. We're talking about Obi gets 15 minutes a game and Randall gets 33. Well, so Obi has 15 averaged, but there's games Randall isn't there because Randall averages himself 36, 37, which is, I think, the highest in the NBA. No one is saying you have to do that. And when you're talking about a 250-pound guy who thrives more when he's in space and is able to play with more energy, yeah, that's a little bit like, well, hold on, is his backup that bad? Oh, his backup isn't bad. And that's without considering the fact that you you can play them together. Or you can play Randall next to RJ at the four. And on top of that, you're like, well, is that best for the team? A, those lineups have not been bad defensively. But B, when your best player is shooting 30% from three, struggling to hit anything in the mid-range, maybe playing him at the five and playing him in more and pick and roll and getting him easier opportunities would help. Um, And those are the kinds of things. And that's not even the biggest thing that Tibbs has That's questionable Tibbs. I I mean, if there's really Knicks fans out there who think Alec Burks needs to be the starting point guard about over quickly, and that's by the way, may I say that when everyone is like the Knicks need a point guard, the Knicks are missing one, at this point I'm taking that as an insult towards Emmanuel Quickly. That might be a bold take. Um not just Emmanuel Quickly, Deuce McBride too. Um I'm taking that as an insult. Because, a especially if you said that today, <laughs> there were, there were multiple tweets that were like Tibbs and out point guard. You said that the day after, those guys outplayed Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler. Come on, man!
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, what did you you've seen them play? You've seen the defense to play. You've seen the heart they play with. Like those are '90s Knicks. Alec Burks at the point guard ain't. Um, Kemba wasn't. Alver Payne, Alfred Payne, like is Alfred Payne a '90s Nick too? And if you think that's yes, I'm fine. I think there's a lot of people who thought that, but uh,
0: sadly he is because he came, he couldn't shoot. <laughs> but <laughs> on
1: the on on the heart and the defense, no, I there's
0: would, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I would put Alf on that level. No,
1: but I would you put IQ or Deuce there? Maybe not. De- uh, like, if you think it's too soon, I get that. At,
0: no, I would already put juice there. Juice um, has it from the start. Um,
1: and I mean, look at IQ. Like the the game ceiling play, he closed out for a three pointer, and then he anticipated the pass, took it, and he didn't dunk it. Sprewell would have dunked it. That's why Sprewell's is my guy.
0: Quick was going to try to throw that down.
1: I wish he dunked that. Sprewell would have dunked it. That's why Sprewell's is my guy, but. Like that's what the plays those guys are making, and then you add Grimes there, and you add Sims, and the, it's just also they all they they amplify each other, right? Quickly can be more aggressive because he news, knows Deuce and Grimes have his back. Um, like maybe he doesn't jump that passing lane if it's Fournier there, right? Right.
0: Um,
1: you know, and and that's who's helping him out. So, um, yeah, like. I think it's, I think the biggest question is like, I think first of all, if you're I think if you're of the opinion that Alec Burke starting is a justifiable position I think that's an insult to Emmanuel quickly at minimum and poss- and and in my opinion, Deuce McBride but if people want to say it isn't and he improved, whatever, that's fine but I think that's an insult to both of them and I think when people are like but Tibbs couldn't have done better. He didn't have any real point guards. I think you saw a real point guard play. And it wasn't just quickly hitting open threes. We talked about this, right? He was manipulating defense. He was pushing the ball in transition. He was doing things that, that Burks doesn't do, do. And on the last point, like that's because Burks, that's not his role. But if you see Burks when he gets to attack from the wing, yep. there was a play in the last game, the game before this one, where Burks caught the ball in the wing. And he drove to the paint and he had a pump fake and a finish yeah. through contact and an and one. And he's shooting 40% of the rim for the season. He's not
0: that, a 40%. 78% superstar move that you see like every yeah. time. Like it, it was a nice move. but It was a Burks version of that move.
1: Yeah, but he finished it and he got and an and one. Big shot. And I don't think it was a coincidence that he did that while playing on the wing with quickly giving him the ball. And so, like, yeah, like it's a shitty position to be in where you're like, Alec Burks shouldn't play point guard, but I like Alec Burks because I think he needs minutes. I don't think his minutes are bad, but he should be getting 30 and mostly playing off ball. Um and that's what it's just tough to like you can argue that the front office gave bad contracts, but with the exception of Kemba, they were all NBA level players. And they drafted well to give you guys to compliment them. And you just didn't deploy them well. And so that's why I think that... um, And and the last part is, like, I'll come back to Randall. Randall got the big contract. But, uh, you know, you can say that Tibbs didn't decide to give him $120 million a year. That's what Macri said, right? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, Leon Rose didn't decide to play Randall... 38 minutes a game, 37, whatever he's averaging. That was Tibbs. And he didn't decide to give Obi 15 minutes a game. So if you gave Obi 20 minutes a game, not only could that help him, but you're two like you have you happen to have your best player being 250 pounds and much better in pace, but in the fourth quarter, magically, he plays with less pace and he misses rotations. Is it Like, is it completely unreasonable to say, well, if you give him five minutes less and spread that out across the course of the game or 10 minutes less, would would those things not happen, the things that we seem to criticize him the most about?
0: In defense of Tom Thibodeau, Randall's minutes are down from 37.6 last year to 35.5 this year. In not defense of Tom Thibodeau, I'm going to throw this out there. I didn't think of it until fairly recently, but it's a thing. Um, Tom, Pid- Tom Thibodeau has had a lot of strengths as a head coach, but Tom Thibodeau has now been through two seasons with the Knicks, and Tom Thibodeau has basically fucked up every single point guard scenario that he's encountered in those two years. Last season, it took him forever to see and and really, I think this hasn't been talked about nearly enough, as far as a, a demerit against Thibodeau. It was obvious for a long time last season that Alfred Payton was over his head in terms of what his job was, and it was obvious for a very long time. And I have no doubt that part of why Thibodeau held off so long making a change was. You can call it resistance to the public pressure or you can call it defending, um, you know, a coworker. However you want to look at it. Um, but Thibodeau is still in the playoffs. In game one, Peyton started and played, I think, eight minutes. And in game two, he started and played like five. If you had known and accepted, like, this isn't going to work, like, you could have sprung a major surprise on Atlanta by changing your your lineup before you won. Or... You could have just spent more time practicing for the series, knowing, okay, if Peyton's de-emphasized and we're going to start Rose or we're going to start Burks or quickly, whatever, you know, you can, you can practice for that. You can prep for that. He fucked up the Peyton situation. He's had success with Rose, who he's worked with two other times. Other than that, this season, it's not just that Kemba didn't work out. It's that I feel, and again, If his record was otherwise unblemished, fine. But he went from not playing Kemba at all, clearly raising eyebrows in the locker room for that, to suddenly playing him crazy minutes. I know they were shorthanded, but like Tibbs is not, you know, he wasn't born yesterday. He understands about ramping guys up and recovery. He burns Kemba out in no time. Um, He insists on sticking with Burks at the point despite the fact that it's not helping the player or the team to be any any more effective. He jerks IQ in and out, I feel, most of the year. McBride, there's no talk of Thibodeau developing McBride. The G League has, that's where McBride has developed, not with the Knicks. Thibodeau's fucked up basically every single point guard he's had in New York, besides Derrick Rose. Well,
1: let me, let me push back on that. I know I didn't think expect myself to be in this situation, right? But what would you say to the arguments that, well, he's playing the young guys now and they're good because he's developed them. And, you know, people would say they quickly went through a stretch. And I say people would say, because I generally personally don't agree with this, but I'm going to try to steel man it. Um, quickly did have a tough stretch. And while I think that, the playmaking concerns are overblown. I think the playmaking was good then, and it's good now. Um, it's just the shots weren't falling. But he stuck with quickly, and you know, quickly has worked through that and all that. What would you say to, to that talk?
0: I would say the reason that I don't, I don't give Thibodeau that credit is that there have been more than one instances this season where young players have shown up been given opportunity and really run with it only because injuries forced Thibodeau to have absolutely no other choice. If not like this season, you know, you know he pulled a Jeremy Lynn and like plucked McBride out or, or someone that nobody believed in and rode that person like Thibodeau all season. Like the only reason Kemba got off the bench at all is because COVID, um, around the holidays, like the Knicks literally had not enough people. So he had to play Kemba Walker. Some of the times McBride has played has only been because the team was shorthanded. The only reason Grimes quickly, like, I, I, I think there's been so many, I would acknowledge that it's possible that what's happening this season with the Knicks and the young players in Thibodeau is not really any different than what happens every year in the NBA to some team. There's always some team that injuries or, or whatever circumstance forces them happen. That was really the birth, in some ways, of the Golden State dynasty. Like, they didn't figure it out. Draymond had to start because David Lee, I think, was hurt or slow to recover. And then, bing, they worked it out from there. When the Knicks' success in 2013. Mike Woodson is not some savant. He had to play Carmelo with the four. And it opened up all these things. So I would say, you know, with Thibodeau, the thing you can point to that's been the brightest spot of the season, which is, wow, the young core really has shown on more than one occasion that they're ready for maybe even more responsibility than we thought they were. Every single time it's happened, it's been imposed on Thibodeau. So that's why I don't feel like, well, I'll give him credit for... I mean, undoubtedly... The players still talk supportively of Thibodeau. There hasn't been dissent sneaking out. Um, A lot of the young players have been pretty vocal about, you know, positive reviews of Thibodeau. So I, I don't doubt that he's good at his job in terms of interacting with players and helping get them better, particularly on the defensive end. Like, I don't doubt that at all. But, I mean... I don't know. It's a very murky question. How much credit do you give him, and how much blame do you give him? I don't really know.
1: And I mean, it's like a lot of guys are like, "Oh, so now you we got the win, and the young guys are playing well, and you want to blame Thibodeau?" And I'm like, "So am I to believe that it was a complete coincidence that this goes back to Quentin Grimes, right? Quentin Grimes did not play at all." Um, and I'm not even saying Quinn Grimes is better than Evan Fournier. I think Evan Fournier is a good player. Um I'm not even saying Quinn Grimes is better than Alec Burks. But he didn't get any minutes and they didn't mix anything up. You know, they played he played Kemba It's tough to believe that a high level coach would play Kemba and Evan Fournier together all their minutes and repeatedly when they were getting torched by perimeter players, right? It's like Maybe maybe they're both two of your best five players, but do you have to play them together all the time? Um, because other teams don't do that, and that's regardless of contract, right? I mentioned this in the thread, but Gallinari makes twenty million dollars a year and comes off the bench against uh, for Atlanta, right? He could should he start over DeAndre Hunter? Well, he makes more money than DeAndre Hunter, but the Hawks are intelligent enough to realize that, you know, you have to mix lineups a certain way. And that's what the most frustrating thing is that I don't, I don't want us to trade. And like, that's the thing, like the biggest Tibbs defense is just closest to where I'm at, but I see the argument against it because the best thing is like, well, when Tibbs like last night, he had some creative sets, by the way, that was a creative offense. He did a lot of good things, but he was forced to play nine or ten guys that are all young yes. and that are all good passers and so if the answer is well the front office you know if you're going to blame the front office why did you sign Evan Fournier don't give him that toy it's like okay so the front office is not allowed to sign good players to give him options and if we just have to conversely uh you know do, do shoot we have to dump Alec Burks. Like, I don't think they would actually have to give a pick to give up Alec Burks, but we have to dump him for less than what he's worth. We have to try to get rid of Evan Fournier. It's like, but hold on, those are good players. Like, with a good coach, they would know how to use them properly. So we have to get rid of, we can't sign or you know retain anyone who gives him more options because we have to force him into the few lineups that are good, but that he just absolutely won't do. That's also damning, right? That shouldn't be a, a vindication of Tibbs.
0: One reason it's hard for me to to judge Thibodeau in this respect at all, it, it goes back for a very long time with the Knicks. Is uh, and I know you, I, I know Schwing feels this way too. That um, like I am much more bothered by the fact that the Knicks have no public relationship with the media or their fans, like at all. I think it's problematic. I think it reflects a lot of the worst aspects of the ownership in the organization. Um, And I think one negative consequence of that, like right now, Cam Reddish is kind of the the heart of this for me. Like a lot of reporting makes it seem like the front office, you know, liked the Reddish, the, the trade, the Reddish opportunity. And it doesn't sound like Thibodeau and certainly doesn't, never looked like that's another guy. Cam Reddish didn't play really at all until there were openings due to injuries. I can't tell if, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm wondering how in sync still after two years together, like you learned about each other. Leon Rose was never a general manager before. He was only Tibbs' agent. Um, completely different relationship. Completely different responsibilities to one another um we're two years into it does tom thibodeau want to play the way that leon rose and other people do i and and i i don't i use the word leon rose basically as a euphemism for their front office because i have been unclear for a very long time about how this front office operates at all like we had this is we can go back forever but um you know, they, Scott Perry has been the general manager kind of for a while now by Nick standards. He never talks. I don't know what moves Perry gets credit for. I don't know what was Steve Mills. I don't know what Leon Rose is versus Brock Oliver. I, I have no idea. Um, I wonder, you know, if there's still the same alignment that there was when they first came to this working agreement, because sometimes it feels to me like what Thibodeau wants to do is not what they're giving him to work with, and what they want him to do, he's not trying to do. It It doesn't sound like there's any fractures in the relationship, but I just keep getting a weird sense that, like, I don't know, if you, if you gave Tom Thibodeau a team, a really great team, like a Toronto kind of team with just, you know, length and athleticism. I don't know if he would want that. Like, I feel like Thibodeau wants to do it a certain way. I- I'm at a loss. I-, I I really think it hurts the Knicks as a front office when, like, right now you have this kind of question and there's no, like, it's hard to say from one year to the next what the Knick philosophy even is because they don't talk to anybody. so. They bring in Fournier, they bring in Kemba, they draft three guys. They really don't talk about any of them with the public. Um, So you're left to deal with this reporter says, you know, Thibodeau feels this and Rose says that. And do you feel right now a sense of shared trust and security in your president and your coach?
1: I mean that is I think that's a that's a leap or two too far for me in terms of speculation. So I would prefer not to do that. What I will say is this. I don't know if it's a result of the fact that the Knicks like you have to work with what you got, right? And what the Knicks have had is a lot of draft picks. And the best draft picks they've had happen to have been guys who are shooters with good defensive ability. Uh, are they targeting that them necessarily? I don't know. But I also would say that those aren't non-Tibs. Like, <laughs> if you want to tell me Quentin Grimes is a non-Tibs player, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just not going to believe that. You don't tell me Deuce McBride is like not who Tibs would ideally want. It's tough, right? Um, but they are young players. And the fact is they couldn't turn those assets into... I mean, there's rumors that Tibbs wanted to trade the pick that became Quinton Grimes into Marcus Morris, right? Like, I don't think any of us would want to do that. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because I think Tibbs is actually at his best when he could coach a guy like Quinton Grimes as opposed to Marcus Morris. I think um, Marcus Morris is most similar to someone like Julius Randle, and that's not a negative. But um, I think Tibbs is, it's shown he's had a little bit of difficulty holding vets accountable. Um, so no. So do I think that the, the free... It's just a very complicated question. Um, I think that the front office, the way they draft <laughs> with their free agent signings, is trying to build a modern roster. And I think Tibbs is great with a modern roster when he's forced to play like a modern team. He knows how to, like, that's the thing. This is not some guy who just was a relic. Like, no, he understands all this shit, but he just won't employ any of it until there's no other choice. Does that mean he should be fired? I don't know. It's that's, but it makes it more weird than just a valued coach that seriously doesn't like it's different than Kurt Rambis or, you know, or Fisher or Fisdale saying we need to play KP at the three. Like that's very clearly outside the realm of what we would consider intelligent basketball. But Tibbs ain't that like he he's, he has had shown the right level of experimentation. It's just not consistent. So um, to answer your question, do I think the roster is mismatched? It depends. Who does Tibbs want to be? I think a good litmus test for this would be if they did trade Derek Rose, if they did trade some of his vets and were like, play with the kids. And if he says, I don't want to do that, I'm 60, you know, sixty-four years old, I want to win a title, and I'm gonna go somewhere where I can, you let him walk. But if you put him in that bind and he's like grits his teeth, but does the best he can with that, I think he's very capable of doing a good job. I think surprisingly, I think Tibbs is very good at modern offense. I think he's adapted to that. I think like last year, even, it's clear Obi is not, Obi and is not good in drop coverage or as like a help defender. And when Tibbs has had him in the game, to his credit, he has used him more blitzing, right? He's done the same thing with Jericho Sims. Um, he's allowed quickly and McBride to pick up full court, um, especially McBride. So he gets those things. Can he do it consistently? Can he trust it? And I don't know. I mean, it, it can be very that can be such a fleeting thing. I mean, we saw the Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson was an old school coach, played mellow at the four, we won 54 games. Um, and and then he reverted back in the playoffs and then for the next season. But um, you know, you we know these coaches can do it at times. Um, and maybe maybe Tibbs can't do it for a suspended point of time, but could he be the guy to get the Knicks to that next level and help quickly help McBride. Like, I think he can be good for those guys. I think he's it's I think he isn't judging their talent properly if he's playing Burks at point guard over quickly. But I also think he's been good for them. I think his track record as a player developer is really good. Luol all Dang, Joe Kim Noah, Jimmy Butler, all those guys. Um and, and the guys here, but um you know, if they want to contend, do I judge his ability to manage rotations, manage the way should they should play? Probably not. But I think to get to that intermediate that intermediate period, I still think he can be that guy, but I'm very much on the fence. And that's why, like, I think I've been on Twitter today trying to broker. <laughs> that was kind of the point of my thread, which is, like, um, I am very much against the reactionary, you know, Tibbs is Pope you know Pope Benedict or whatever um, but I was also against that he needs to be fired like no matter yes, what yeah. he's the shittiest like I am I, I'm not going to say on middle ground because I'm like I'm like 60 40 and 60 is like I would fire Tibbs but like gun to my head I would leave him and put put um, put contingencies in place hmm and some of those contingencies would be an offensive coordinator and getting rid of I mean let me ask this to you Matt like do, what is there a healthy scenario in which both Tibbs and Randall can be back next year
0: I think there is um we, we could debate the likelihood of it but I the scenario I could see um I think I think it's entirely possible that Tom Thibodeau has done that. Tom Thibodeau's job performance this year is one that he himself might be down on, and at the same time, that Tom Thibodeau is aware of lots of things that were not um, that in relevant as far as like the calculus he's trying to solve is more complicated than what we are working on. Um, doesn't mean that he can't be failing, but I think I think so. I think it's possible that um first of all, to me I'm much more I'm way more concerned with what I've seen from Randall this year than what I've seen from Thibodeau. So I think to in Thibodeau's defense, um part of can it work out with both of them, I think more of it depends on well, okay. I'll say they both have one enormous thing they have to do. With Randall, it's not just you know the, sh- the shooting or, or, or figuring out how to evolve his role as R.J. grows into his. like I'm not as concerned about those things as I am by like whatever the hell is going on with his energy this season. like that's the big thing to me, and if, if, if he can look just more. At- but
1: do you, do you think his energy was that much better last season, or do you think we overlooked it because he was hitting shots?
0: I think his energy was much better. I think he might be, you know, too much of a, oh, what's the term? Randall might be kind of like Starks actually in the, in the sense of a player who lets his performance get, have too much influence on his mental state or his, the whatever vibe or energy he's carrying. I did think Randall's body language or energy last year was <laughs> problematic at all. Um, this season, it's concerning to the point that like, that's my biggest, what the hell is going to happen this whole season as far as that goes. So so to back to your original question, I think it can work if Randall returns and Randall is, is not necessarily even (coughs) shooting better, but just more at peace with a more, you know, maybe defined role that puts the team in his needs, you know, first, I think that could be very effective. I think Julius Randall could easily be someone who gets down to 32 minutes a game and, you know, is giving you 18 points and nine rebounds and five assists. And, and I, and, and having energy and being like a veteran leader and being a matchup problem for a lot of, like, I think he can make that work. And I think Thibodeau, you know, for all the indictment that we can do of well, how come we didn't do this and what's with his rotation and why aren't these people playing? Um, Tom Thibodeau has had many really good seasons coaching at the NBA level, including a year ago with the same team. So I think the Knicks had a bad off season, not an ill advised one. I don't think most people last summer thought, well, Fournier and Ken was stupid. And the, the, like I think they did a reasonable thing, it didn't work. They go back to it this this off season. Um, you've seen this season what works and what doesn't work for you. Hopefully the team tries to construct and maximize that roster construction to give you the most options and opportunities to play that way. And then it's on you know Randall to fit in with it and Thibodeau to work with it. And if they both do that, I think they could absolutely both work next year. Randall's not on a bad contract. Like, this isn't Melo, Stoudemire, late Ewing. Like, this isn't that. He's on a fine deal. So, I think it could turn around. Mind you, I have been a member of this asylum for 30-something years now, so I may not be the person that... You want to ask yeah, for
1: their feelings on that. There's a lot I, I agree with. And, I mean, there's also, like, after last year and how much that meant. I, like, I kind of want, for irrational reasons, to for Tibbs and Randall to be a part. I want them to be a part of whatever this ends up being. Really, like yes. A title. Like yeah. If we want a title that comes from this snowball, I, I want them to be part I, want the, I don't want them to be discarded as snow particles. I don't want to be the them to be the snow particles that come along. We have to ask um, if Randall is a subpar shooter, which he has been every year of his career, since, besides last year, and he doesn't add value on defense. Can he be a part? Can he be like a really important part of a of a team of a good team? Because um, like. So my, my take is that I, I'm wondering, like, when, after Randall's first season, I was like, look what he – his role in New Orleans, which was why we signed him, he was a six-man. He could play the five a lot. He could roll, and he would take some threes, but not a lot. And he was just good in that role. Um, and then the first year – after the first year in New York, I was like, yeah, but when you ask him to be the guy – he can't do that. And last year he was the guy, but a lot of that was shooting really well. Um, So I guess my question is, if he's making what he is, he either has to shoot really well or play really good defense. So A, do you think that if he was to just not do those things, but just be in a more conducive lineup, it'd be worth it? And if that's a no, but you think he'll do one of those things, which would it be?
0: I can't remember how you said it, but the first thing you said is what I feel. That um, that that it can work. I think that was what you were saying.
1: Well, it's the shooting or the defense. He can't be a poor shooter and also not add value on defense. That's what I yeah.
0: I think so. I think the formula for how like it works with Randall going forward is um, to. I don't think the team right now I don't know if Randall is a great fit for where the team is going, and I don't know if the team right now i don't know <coughs> I don't know how well they fit um if if you had Star X, whoever that player is, and brought that person in, I think Randall's talent is the kind of thing that can can really be advantageous um particularly the less that he's being asked to produce tangibly. So like Randall is an incredible, I think for his, for his size, he's a, he's a definitely a plus ball handler. Um, He has some vision. Um, I think his ability to push his ability, just strength wise to, and and he doesn't get killed out on switches. Um, He can, he can handle himself. Well, sometimes guarding um, a, a guard out in space. I think Randall has a lot of skills that he, he totally reminds me of in baseball, you know, some sad team who has a really, you know, a solid number three pitcher. And that guy is their ace because they just don't have, they don't have enough pitching to go around. And like the guy is he all he's doing what he can do. And like in the right circumstance, what he can do can have an outsized impact. Because if you have like, Marcus Stroman. If you have a number three who's like, and, and the Mets just traded for, um, I can't remember his last name. Maybe Lassit from Oakland. Um, he's an all-star and he's their number three starter. Like, great. I would love to see Randall as the next number three, whatever, passed by Barrett, whoever star X is. And then I do think, as the cap rises um, and as Randall's role could maybe be more suited to maximize his abilities, that a guy making nowhere near max money. Um, who can contribute in multiple ways, um, you know, I think it can work. Like, there's a lot of different ways that you can, if if your definition of success is, like, contention or a title, there are ways that you can win with Julius Randle, you know, in some kind of a not-the-same Lamar Odom kind of role. Like, Lamar Odom on those Laker teams was, you know, Kobe was better and Paul Gasol was better. And nobody would pretend that Lamar Odom should be the best player on a good team. And if he was, you would see shit that would make you think, like, boy, Lamar Odom is not cut out to be the number one. But in that situation, like, obviously, again, that's an exceptional situation when you have Kobe and Paul Gasol. But maybe Randall, maybe that kind of a thing could happen. And, you know, now suddenly, yeah, we all love Randall. And in 15 years, his number is being retired.
1: I think that's a really good point. Um, I think Randall ultimately, um, I mean, the guys you mentioned, in terms of Odom, he added value on defense. Um, I think that, like, defense and non, like, I mean, can you think of a player who was a four or a front court player who added no value on defense and also couldn't shoot? That was a plus player on a championship team. That's like that's what it comes down to for me.
0: But I th- okay, I guess what I think, again on that end too, I think
1: and maybe not a championship team, but even a good team. Like most of those guys, like if you're a four, like John Collins, I guess
0: you
1: know. But uh, yeah, um... John Collins was a forty percent shooter, so yeah. just a forty percent three point shooter. So it's tough to see that.
0: It is, but I, I think, I think the way I think of it with Randall is, is it probably won't work this way because there's so much more just movement than there used to be in the league personnel-wise. But Randall is on board. I believe this is the last year of his first Nick deal, and then the four-year extension kicks in, right?
1: Oh, sorry. I, I said yeah.
0: Sorry. Okay. Oh, cool. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. So, the Knicks aren't going to win a title in the next four years. The Knicks aren't going to contend for a title in the next four years. The best place the Knicks. Can four be- is
1: a long time. I would say two, but yeah. So Because uh, they could trade for someone, or like things do change a little bit fast. Absolutely, things
0: can change. Things can things can change. Um, I, so,
1: I think that if you say they're not trading, <laughs> I think if you say they're not contending for the next four years. That's also basically saying there's no reason to believe they're contending next year, right? Which is, to me, it's like that's that's pretty far out of horizon. So.
0: well, like, I think in four years the Knicks could be, you know, a team that can put up like a good fight in the second round, assuming they're not bringing in some you know superstar that we can't imagine right now. Um, like I don't think Randall's presence on the team the next couple of years whatever however they decide to use him i don't think i don't think that that has to be defining in terms of how they do or or where they go or where they're headed i I don't i don't think he has that kind of gravity he's not like it's not like a couple years ago where like you traded for russell westbrook and like you know exactly what that means like you brought in this guy, so A, B, and C are definitely happening, and and D, E, F are not. I don't think Randall is is that dense of a star. Um, that, that that his presence would warp so much of everything else around him. I think. Yeah, I know what you're saying, like, but like, if I, you're
1: paying him twenty five million dollars a year and he's not a good defender or a plus shooter, is is there like how do you What's the vision for how that's still a positive player?
0: So I would say he he would sir I would say the argument is that is maybe twofold. One is until you sign trade for or develop someone that is ready to take on that role. Maybe it's RJ, or maybe it's someone they draft this year or or I don't know sign or trade. But for now it's RJ. Um, RJ is the only person on the roster that I think any of us can imagine maybe ascending to the role that randall currently plays and i don't think rj like well we'll see where it comes to next year but i think first there's value just in having someone who take there's some value in having a guy who's going to take the reps that someone else isn't ready for while you're waiting for the guy to get there like i think there is some value in that um and there was something else i was going to say about why oh and also i think um given how the nba works in terms of trades and and salary structures and the things you know randall also has value as a large contract it's not a max but it's close enough that if you put him into a deal you're a lot closer to being able to make anything match up for a team that has i think pretty good roster flexibility one thing the Knicks don't really have is a lot of um roster biodiversity in terms of niches and Randall is someone is the only person right now who has a large enough contract that it could be a meaningful ballast in a deal but not such a large contract that it's like a nightmare or you know
1: i mean with that in mind who's the worst like i would assume you would trade Randall for Donovan Mitchell I would not not as one for one obviously yeah. but
0: as Who's the worst player
1: you would be willing to include Randall in a trade for? I'm sorry? Who's the worst player you'd be willing to include
0: Randall in a trade for? Uh, make me an offer? I would probably not trade um, Randall for Sabonis because I think it's a lateral move. I think Sabonis is a good player, but I don't think it would fundamentally change you know, your... What would you
1: trade him for like De'Aaron Fox? I know that's probably not on the table anymore, but...
0: Would I trade Randall for De'Aaron Fox? I would not. Um, I... I've written about it. I have concerns about um, Darren Fox. I, I I don't think Darren Fox is the answer. I don't think Randall is either. Um, and so I recognize I can't trade Julius Randall for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like I know that. Um, but I'm not, sure? I'm not interested on, in Darren. I have
1: I have a I have a hope. Let me dream. Yeah, uh, come
0: on. <laughs> Randall, yeah. I mean, maybe things things do change. Um, but. No, I don't think Darren Fox my concerns about Fox are significant enough that I wouldn't want to use my Randall powder there. Um, but, but I'm trying to think of trying to think of So it's a good question. Maybe I'll think about that for next time. Like I, I'm gonna work on that for next time. I'm gonna bring you who are who's the worst player that I would trade Randall one-on-one, on one, like one-for-one for, one
1: for? Or at least be willing to include Randall in a trade for, right? Oh, so like, that opens
0: it up a lot. Um,
1: well, because like, I think we'd all include him for Donovan Mitchell. Right. Would we all include him for Damian Lillard? It's like, well, oh, that's boy. actually, for me, it's a little complicated because Damian Lillard is 33 and declining and, and all of those things.
0: I wouldn't do that because it also, I think, it takes away from. Like, I want to see. I mean, he did play well with McCollum, so I guess he could play with quickly, though. Quickly is much smaller than McCollum. I don't know. I, I'm not interested in Lillard for the same reason. I don't, his timeline makes no sense with this team. Um, yeah. So no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade him for Lillard.
1: Um, on, on kind of a related note, yeah, we could talk about that question. Sorry, I think it was a mute. So one of the things I've seen is that Tibbs isn't a real point guard, um, and personally, I've always taken that as an insult to Manual quickly, even when he was shooting. <laughs> and I understand a lot of people will be like, "Bro, he was shooting ghastly yeah. in February and March and in January." Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not gonna say I was vindicated by last night or the last month. I will say that for his career, he's a thirty-seven sh- percent three-point shooter, but he has taken the strides. They have Deuce McBride, and that's and both of them have shown playmaking ability, the ability to get to the rim, high-level defense, and they have Rokas Yucubitis. Um To what extent? Like a lot of, but every time I post something about the draft or free agency, every like I get so many of these lazy like, but the Knicks need a point guard. And I wonder how much they watch the team because it's like, it seems like the like, is that just is there a reason to believe that no one on the team currently can be that within the next three to four years? Um, because like I'll give my take first. I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I think we have three talented. Point guard prospects, and I would call them all point guard prospects, but also having RJ Barrett changes things. Like, it and it's tough because it's a sliding skill. The more he shows, the you know, the more you have to question this take about needing a point guard. Right. But Quickly's biggest weakness is scoring at the rim. That's RJ's biggest strength, um, and it's not that Quickly can't get to the rim. Like he can get to the paint pretty well and use that to create things, and he can take a floater if necessary. Right. Uh, and McBride is big. So, you can say that they need someone who can score at three levels. You can say they could do with another good passer, but the, the like, the Knicks need a point guard in all caps thing, I've been like, eh. Either you're just trying to insult quickly and McBride for no reason, or I don't really think you have a good idea for what they need, but you've been, you know, you've been a, Fan of the Knicks for longer than I have even, and seen the whole point guard thing. Where are you at on that whole discussion?
0: I think that the the question outlived the age of its relevance. Like this in the 90s, there was point guard panic because, um, especially once Derek Harper was gone, um, Chris Childs did not do well immediately. It was a big free agent signing after a really strong year with New Jersey and then he was terrible that first season. He really struggled. Charlie Ward started. You might remember uh kind of infamously, Stefan Marbury, when he was, I believe a net, uh, made public comments about how the Knicks would never I can't remember if he said win a title or get to the finals with those guys, meaning Ward and Childs. And then of course the Knicks did, did get to the finals with Ward and Childs. Um I, I think what happened is that like at, there was a long time when that mattered. Um and the Knicks is a franchise, it's hard to remember now, but for quite a long time, really up until the 90s, um the Knicks were a pretty blessed point guard franchise. Um you know, going going way back to the beginning um, with Dick McGuire and um I think Carl Brown was a two guard, but they they had a Clyde lot Fraser. of... <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly starting them with Clyde, and after Clyde, um, you had a very talented Michael Ray Richardson. Didn't last long, but he was really, really talented. And then, you know, not long after that, not too long after that, you know, there's Mark Jackson. And then it's been a struggle for a while, but I think the Knicks as a team and the league have evolved to the point that that doesn't matter as much as it used to. It, it would be like if if the Knicks – had been a team that like never had a center, and now today people were like, "Oh, the Knicks suck." You know what? They need a center because they've always sucked and they've never had a center. Therefore, but like it's not where the league is at anymore, and I feel like unless
1: you get Joel Embiid or you
0: know, sure, I mean, that's, that's fine, and I'll take Ja. You know, if that but knows. that's not about
1: like yeah. If we could draft Jokic or Embiid, yeah, we could draft the Jokic, but. That's so one of the less
0: mistakes. Of... Um,
1: but that is less about drafting a quote-unquote center and more about star power, right?
0: What do you mean?
1: I mean, there's a there's a certain thing about like, I think it's fair to say that Knicks need a guy who can score at three levels and create for others. I think there's very few people who that definition applies to that you wouldn't call it i mean can you think of anyone who scores at three levels and creates for others that isn't a quote-unquote star who's the worst player who does that middleton <laughs> you know <laughs> like he's a star he made the all-star team like
0: oh, he scores all three levels
1: like that's i think to me that's the simplest i mean i'm probably simplifying things too much for sure. Uh, but that's the simplest definition of a star to me. And that's like, that to me is a more meaningful statement than the Knicks need a quote unquote point guard. Because, but what do you mean by that? Do you mean someone who scores at all three levels and always makes the right play and has insane vision and can switch one to three and be a great point of attack defender? There's one player like that. And Chris Paul is anachronistic. Uh, there you go. I, I, I got. I got the ten dollar word for my for my English professor here, but um, but you know like like is that what you want? You want Chris like because it's it's funny to think. But I was talking with someone about quickly, and I was like, quickly has over a two point five to one assisted turnover ratio for a rookie. That's really good. If you compare with Lamelo, John Morant, guys like that, that's pretty good. Yep. And he said, well, Chris Paul and John Stockton were at four to one, and I was like. So is that the only player that will allow you to, like, think that maybe the point guard isn't the problem? It's like...
0: Paul Pierce sucked because he wasn't Michael Jordan.
1: Forget Paul Pierce. Steve Nash. Right. <laughs> Steve Nash was a 4-1. to one. That, But I guess he wasn't a real point guard, right? right. Um Now, I think that was hilarious. Like, by the way, anyone who hasn't read it yet, yeah, but you did, t- like, it must not have been quickly, right? Because how that offense looked for 12 minutes and how that defense looked, of course, was as if they had Chris Paul out there you know um, he did all of those like that was the most impressive thing about quickly last night is that it wasn't just he was hitting shots he was manipulating the defense he was driving at the opportune times um, he was tell, he was redirecting guys right he's telling Deuce and Grimes like there's one play where Deuce wanted to replace Grimes up near the elbow he's like no no stay in the corner. Use Grime to set a pick, and then he and then unlike someone who might be telling someone to stay in the corner just to ISO, he was like, nah, you stay in the corner because I'm gonna get you with this three. And that's what he did. He gave Deuce a three. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, how like would it be that sad to you? And I know you've been a fan for a lot longer than me, and we've all gone through no point guard for 20 years. Would it be that sad for you if we didn't get anyone and we just rolled as quickly as a starting
0: point guard no. next year? No, because what's weird about the Knicks, and maybe historically unprecedented, um, which maybe is why it doesn't get talked about a lot, like the Knicks get what you would want from a classic point guard, basically from their front court. So when you think of a typical, like, you know, what does a point guard provide, like, what is the classic, particularly the classic New York City point guard, like what does that person provide They provide rim pressure. They break down a defense. They can get to the rim. They can cause defenses to collapse. They can create all kinds of chaos. So you look at the next front court. There's different ways to penetrate. One is to dribble. Um, Another way is to pass. Another way is to rebound from deep in. Mitchell Robinson is such a good offensive rebounder. Has really become, I think that's become the defining part of his game, even more than his defense and his his shot blocking. He's such a good offensive rebounder. Like, that's a constant, that coupled with his lob threat is a constant source of pressure on the rim. R.J. Barrett's ability, and to a lesser extent, um, but still to an extent Julius Randle, all have the ability um, to get to the rim and pressure the defense in ways that are more typical, I think, than your average four and three. Um, You know, they don't need, and and because Randle and Barrett also are really unselfish as players, I think, for the most part. Randall is unselfish, too. And they look for people, they find people, they create people. They don't need one person to try to do all of that. And I think you really miss out a lot on, like, a lot of what quickly can bring to you, not just tangible. Like, let's be honest, you know, a guy like DJ Augustine has probably been a better Traditional NBA point guard than Emmanuel quickly will ever be, but I don't think DJ. I, I didn't watch most of his career, but quickly can energize the team, energize the crowd. He brings in energy that I don't. I don't usually associate with DJ Augustine. Like, like I think people miss out so much on look what this person is giving you and could be giving you in the future. Just because it doesn't look like what you've been told you're supposed to be looking for. The Knicks are like a rom com. Like, just if the Nick movie ends in a happy ending, it's because at the end of the movie, like, everyone has finally seen each other for who they are and they love them anyway. Yeah. Um,
1: the Knicks are. I don't know if I'd call them a rom com because rom coms generally have happy endings, and we Just don't. You
0: have to stay optimistic. We're building up to it. This is a, this is very much a rom com. It's right at the point where you you've accepted it can never work out. We're in Act Three. <laughs> That's when it turns around. So, um, um,
1: we've talked a lot about quickly. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Deuce McBride. Um, and I'd be interested in your thoughts because again, you watched. Those early 90s teams. You watched Derek Harper. I did too, but I was a kid. Didn't evaluate necessarily the same way. Um, you watched Mark Jackson and Rod Strickland and all these guys. Um, is there anything about Deuce? Because like, it seems to me that there's a certain synergy, especially when he plays with Quickly and, Mc- and and Grimes. If mm-hmm. you put Grimes with the starters, he looks good, but it's isolated. You put Quick- Quickly with the starters, he looks good, but it's isolated. When all three of them are together, as well as Sims, there's some synergy. Um, but I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about quickly as about is he the point guard of the future? And and McBride has been the guy getting minutes late, and you know, he doesn't play on ball as much, but he's made some big plays and you know, he played point guard in college. Quickly, I mean, a lot of people I think this is part of what makes his improvement so impressive, is that he didn't play point guard in college, but he's shown that as kind of it's always been a work in progress. But McGride, that's always been his position. Can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Deuce and um, you know how you would be thinking about him with the future plans? Is it too early to say? It's just one or two good games.
0: No, I like Deuce a lot. I The thing I've liked the most about him, um, twofold. One, as I've said before, I really think he he exhibits like a like a defensive zone like just when you watch him moving around playing defense he he's you know when you watch a great offensive player they're not just you know trying to get from a to b like they have the ability to think and try to manipulate the game you know in 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 other kinds of ways and some players are like that on defense and like it's more the energy at this point even than his contributions. So I think those have been really great, but I'm very excited about him defensively. I'm excited that he loves to play defense, but not at the expense of having an offensive game and confidence, which I think after watching Frank LaQuina, like is a really big deal to me. And also um, the thing I like the most about McBride is there's a certain mutability in him in that he's not, you know, if you remember, Michael Beasley. Michael Beasley was a guy who, like, Michael Beasley came in. Michael Beasley's as, as talented a scorer as I've ever seen on the Knicks. Like, just in terms of can you get a bucket, he is up there with everybody.
1: Bernard King?
0: He's up there with everybody. Just in terms of I need you to get me two points, he is up there with everybody. But that is literally all Michael Beasley did. Like, that is what... Michael, if Michael Beasley was not out there getting you buckets, he wasn't yeah, doing. Minus. He wasn't yeah. doing anything.
1: And he, and I'll say, he did try a, a his effort, his defensive effectiveness improved a lot on the Knicks, but it still wasn't good. Right?
0: I enjoyed. If you're gonna watch a losing team, there are many worse things to watch than one where Michael Beasley is scoring. Like he's fun to watch, especially
1: um, when you get interviews with them with four watches on his arms and limbs. Talking to Taylor Rooks That's about, what
0: happens for those of us who use 11% of our brain.
1: 11% of our brain. I mean, I will say, like, 50% of that was how hilarious it was. And I will say 50% of that was uh, the first time I ever saw Taylor Rooks. And, um, yeah, so... You know that had its own advantages. So I'll, I'll I also thank Michael Beasley for introducing me to Taylor Rooks, but I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> talking about multi-dimensional players, Stacy clearly himself a multi-dimensional player. Um, he was
1: he got me to use more than ten percent of my uh, <laughs> my perception.
0: <laughs> so, um, relating back to McBride from Beasley, um, my uh, Deuce McBride shows me he's not in there to fulfill whatever narrow performance he thinks is his responsibility as an NBA player. Like he wants to win and he reminds me of there's, there's some players like this who he's going to kind of every game as the game takes shape. He's, he's like water. Like I feel like McBride is like water. What do you need that night to try to win? Okay. That's a this is some answer. Bruce Lee stuff here.
1: What's that? <laughs> this is uh, Have you seen the Bruce Lee clip? Like water is like the the Bruce Lee clip about water. No, it adapts to anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also mean, but
0: yeah. There's, there's. I think that's an enormous positive to have in a player, um, someone who can defend the way that he does. Who's not but a, a one-dimensional player, and who. Who in the in the little time I have seen of him in college and the NBA is clearly one of those people. Like you know, you play pickup ball and there's some guys, so some people you play with, they're there. They want to get their buckets So they want to get you know. And some people are out there and they just want to win every game and and they'll do in every game whatever they have to to win. Those are fun people to play with. They're fun people to watch, and that's McBride to me.
1: Yeah, um, I would agree, but so I think this that description to my eye applies a little bit to quickly. They're not the same player, um, you know, they're good both defenders, but quickly is more of the boa constrictor, whereas McBride is more of the cobra. I like this a lot. I hope that this gets to be something I use a lot, (laughs) but quickly is more of the guy that'll always be there and slowly suffocate you. McBride is more of the tenacious pit bull who's going to attack, attack, attack. McBride
0: is poisonous.
1: Exactly. Um, And I think that's a good combination to have. But the point is they can both defend both guard positions and they can both play on and off ball. Um, And my feeling has been that at the t- like do you think like when people say well mcbride is not a true point guard quickly isn't a true point guard they're actually being penalized for that versatility it's like yeah they can play both positions but that doesn't mean that they have to you know like do you think they get penalized for that or do you think the versatility they show at some times can be viewed as a negative in a way that it shouldn't be
0: yes i think a lot of people are stupid um
1: yeah, Well, yeah, but, um, I mean, to what extent do you think they are combo guards versus if you needed them to be a point guard, they could be?
0: See, again, with this team, like, I don't know how much that matters with this team unless things are going wrong. So, for example, if Randall and... Aaron... Things are
1: always going wrong, by the way.
0: Well, but, okay, there's a lot. We of- once
1: had, uh, you know, my my one Asian-American brother get pulled off the 15th guy off of Landry Fields' couch to be the point guard of this team. We've been desperate for that kind of player. So things are always messed up.
0: (laughs) But, like, the question of, like, you know, can IQ or McBride be that classic point guard if you need them to? With this team, the only way I can see that question really arising is if Randall and Barrett, who are your primary initiators, were both unavailable. And... Then the question, the fair question, would be, do you want quickly or McBride, like, literally leading the offense? Not ideally, but if any team is missing their two best players, like, it changes um, what you look and hope for from others. So it doesn't concern me at all. I I don't think it matters now. Even if you look at um, some of the the good Nick teams in the past, like, you know, Allen Houston and Latrell Sprewell did not – you know, some games, Houston was a little bit bigger, but Sprewell played the three, and, like, was he a classic small foot? I mean, it didn't matter. He gave them what they needed. He gave that team something it needed to help win. Walt Frazier and Earl Monroe were, like, people didn't think they could literally play together, and, like, they played together beautifully. I don't see why McBride and quickly cannot work, depending on what you do around them. Like, all of all of these questions are contingents. Like, Yes, it can work. Depends what you're asking them to do and who you're asking them to do it with. If the Knicks were, you know. But I mean, I
1: think that's the opposite of what a lot of people said, which is like, you know, Randall and Tibbs would be good with quickly. Right? So is the, the question would be has quickly been letting, or quickly or McBride or anyone been letting down that part of the bargain? Or is it that Randall isn't the right other bait? Wait, it's the combination of the two.
0: Uh, that's tough. Um, that's tough. I, I gotta think about that one. Um, I don't. I, I. I don't think that the young guards have failed Randall this season. Like I can say that, but um, they
1: haven't gotten to play with him
0: as much, right? So they maybe been.
1: they would have. Maybe. Maybe in a way they failed him because they couldn't beat out Alec Burks. If you believe, it was I in don't, their but I'm
0: time. not. I'm not sure with Thibodeau that that's ever what it comes, what it came down to. But, sure. So, I don't feel, as far as apportioning blame for things this season, I'm not coming down on quickly or McBride for anything. Quickly is a sophomore. Um, his role changed. He's learning on the job. Um, once Rose went down, like you know, I think a lot of things fell on quickly's shoulders. Um, He reminds me very much of you know, you know, you see it all the time. Guy struggles for a bit because he's adjusting to something and then there's a point where it it clicks and boom. And I think they're both very smart players. Um, Again, like we were saying earlier, it's not about judging um, basketball players for their intelligence, but it's just like I can say that Alfred Payton can't shoot even though Alfred Payton can shoot much better than I can, because I'm talking by NBA standards. By NBA standards, it seems to me that McBride and Quickly are both intelligent, driven, um, two-way players, and I think you can always... You always want that around. Whether they play together, whether one of them becomes the... You know, one starts and the other is the sixth... Like, I don't know, but I, I, I think there are some pieces on this team that you can definitely see as contributing members of something meaningful in a few years. And those two to me are both on the list more than most, you know, even of the other young Knicks are
1: more than Kevin Knox.
0: <laughs> He's only 19. Um,
1: um, there is so kind of, you know, switching aside from that, I, I think I agree with pretty much everything you said. There's another young Nick who's at a more mature process in his timeline. That's Mitchell Robinson. And the Knicks did draft another player who's been very intriguing um, at the same position. Um, so just to set context, Mitchell Robinson has been up and down this season in particular. At his best, he is arguably, if not the Knicks' best player, their best, second best player, certainly the best defensive player. Um, who does things they cannot, uh, and no other Nick can. Um, He is a free agent. Um, He has gotten talk from, um, you know, um, his uncle posted on Twitter saying, you know, the Knicks aren't feeding him the ball enough in the post. And if you watch other teams, they do. Uh, But at the same time, Jericho Sims has come along. Um, I was in an interesting thread with Derek Reifer, uh, if you guys are interested in it, we can put it in the show notes. But, um, you know, I I had mentioned a few things I think Jericho does better than Mitch, and he pushed back on a couple of those. Um, I think it's tough to argue that Mitch isn't awesome. Um, I think given the fact that he showed up to camp out of shape, the fact that as good of an elite, uh, as good of a rim protector he is, he isn't quite Rudy Gobert on that end, and he gives you nothing on offense. and. Uh, even guys like Rudy Gobert and Jared Allen that play the same role give you something, and they don't shoot 52% from the free throw line. Um, and on the flip side, Sims is very switchable. Uh, he's a smart player. Uh, he's still figuring out when to contest, and that has driven Tibbs crazy a little bit. But clearly, there's a lot of talent there. Uh, how do you view the whole Mitch situation going into the, into the summer?
0: I've resolved myself to be fine with whatever happens because I...
1: That's a cop-out. We all are quote-unquote fine. We're all going to be on Twitter talking shit all the time. What's your preferred outcome?
0: I think given what what shape I think the team will take in the next few years, I think he should probably go. Hmm. Because I don't think the Knicks can afford...
1: What do you, what I mean, what do you think he'll get?
0: Oh, okay. Somebody'll offer Mitchell Robinson like at least I I keep reading like four and fifty five from the Knicks. Somebody's gonna offer him four for sixty. I keep hearing Dallas is interested. Dallas I could easily see giving him like four for seventy two. It's not an outrageous like contract. I
1: mean, do you think a sign and trade for Brunson would be worthwhile then in that case? I... And we maybe we can send them Rose too or figure out because I think Dallas could use Derek Rose in the John Brunson role, right? Just when Luca's hurt and also when they need another ball handler, like he'd be really good there, but
0: maybe. What what else? Do you think you would need to trade Mitch and Rose to get Brunson?
1: Uh, I mean you probably take something back. Uh I don't know if that's once a Nick Twice a Nick, always a Nick uh, Jr.
0: Yeah.
1: Or if it's like Moxie Kleber or something, but you can make that work. I... But I think getting Rose and Mitch would be very enticing. And if, especially if they're not willing to trade Brunson, that might you know, loosen things up a little bit.
0: Yeah.
1: Because uh... they would both help their team a lot, even with their flaws. In fact, I think Dallas is better suited to alleviate some of the flaws of those two players. Like for Rose, his biggest flaw is that he can't play that many games. And you know, when you have a guy named Luka Doncic there, you're not relying on Rose so much as he is an ancillary guy. But you could probably rely on him to play, you know, 25 games the playoffs. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: and then with Mitch, you know, one of their biggest their biggest weakness is probably brim protection. So you know, that would work out. And for us, obviously, if we like. I mean, yeah, like in the Sims, Mitch is Mitch expendable, period? And to what extent do you think Sims changes that um, equation? And if the answer is Sims doesn't, I think there's a good argument for that. And I'm probably closer to that than I am to the argument that Sims makes Mitch expendable, even though I think that Sims does things that Mitch doesn't. And um, I could see Sims overtaking Mitch as soon as within a year
0: yeah for me sims is not what makes mitch expendable um yeah yeah no no it's not that um Jalen I, I, brunson just does not excite me and i say that acknowledging that like fred van vliet didn't really excite me when he was a free agent and he's a very good good nice player um I don't know why, why Jalen Brunson does nothing for me, but he does nothing for me. Maybe, maybe that'll change once I see Jalen him. Brunson does nothing for you. That's interesting. Maybe, you know, he plays one game and scores 25. That might change things. Um, would
1: you... I mean, so you'd be willing to roll with what we
0: have? I would.
1: Even if... What if we traded Rose? Would you roll with that? Like, just IQ, yeah. Deuce, and maybe bring over Yoko Biden?
0: I mean, again, I th- yeah, I think with with particularly if you make room that would entice Yoko to come. Plus, I don't know, they may draft a guard. Who knows what will happen in the draft. Um, I'm fine with that because I think, again, um, for, for the road the Knicks need to take, those are the guys I want you know, developing on the road with me. They're, everyone's got to get experience points. Like, let them get their experience points. Let them level up. I don't need, you know, uh, I don't need a band of guys where, like, four, four dudes are uh, a level two, and then I have, like, Derek Rose there as, like, a level 12 because he's played forever. Like, if you're going to roll with these guys, then roll with them. Yeah. I don't want him to half-ass it. I don't want to, like... You know, they're going to draft two more people, but, you know, give, I don't know, bring jokes you all about, like, I, I, just, I want a sense of direction. I just want to know, like, do you think this year was an anomaly and you're going to reload and, you know, try to announce yourselves as an Eastern power next season? Or are you humbled by this year and decide to, like, you know, slow down and, you know, fertilize the field a little more? I don't know. I would rather do that than. I don't think they're as close to last year as they are to this year.
1: Give me a little further. Well, hold on. So you think they've? Which side are they closer to?
0: I think what we've seen this year.
1: Wow. Do you think it's a it's a it's a pretty extensive rebuild?
0: I think the farther we get from last season, the more I feel like there were just so many anomalies that don't exist anymore uh,
1: but I mean on that note like I mean if you look at 538 standings I think the Knicks are supposed to finish 39 or 33 and 29 uh, 33 and 49 yeah uh, which is the same as the pelicans which so this is the first time I've ever seen this but um the pelicans are predicted to finish with the same record as the Knicks the Knicks have a 0.3% chance of. Oh, okay. It's changed after tonight. Um, but the Knicks have this. Wow. I think that changed a lot. The Knicks have a 0.3% chance of getting to the playoffs at 37 and 45. Um, you know, the, the Pelicans before had a 62% chance, um, despite having the same record. Right now they have a 36 and 46 with a 28% chance. Point is being in the the East has hurt the Knicks, right? Yeah. Um, t- I mean, it, and it's tough because this thirty-two wins is the highest Phil Jackson ever had, and um, I mean, do you really blame the front office a lot for what? I mean, what what would you have done differently if you're the front office?
0: In the offseason? last offseason?
1: yeah. Even with perfect hindsight, twenty twenty. And then it's fair to think, well, how much of that is relevant, uh, given the new information? But I,
0: don't know. I might have done what they did. Um, you know, part of me thinks like if Thibodeau really wanted Reggie Bullock back, and he just won Coach of the Year, and um, everyone talks about you know Bullock's role beyond just what he did on the floor, like maybe I would have done that differently. Um, but I can't say that. It looks bad that they, you know, moved from Bullock to Fournier, um, even though Fournier costs a little bit more. Again, I don't think he's on a like a wacky deal. I, I mean, they didn't hand out any wacky deals. They drafted well. Um, I I can't look back at last summer and say like this is what they should have done. Like I think they made moves that to me seemed very reasonable. Um, I could see the logic behind them, especially coming off of. The playoffs and thinking that like okay now we've arrived as a a mid-tier team in the east and we saw in the playoffs that our best player um like needs more help on the offensive end so we'll bring in two players who can like it makes all the sense in the world that they did that and um even even the randall like really everything they did last off season i think i was cool with like randall's deal I thought was like, oh, cool. You've you've locked him up, and it's not a max deal. It's going to age well because the cap's going to rise. Like, okay, that's cool. And I love that they drafted McBride. I was hoping they would get Duarte since they didn't. I thought Grimes was a fine, like, okay, he seems to me like maybe a similar dude. Um, Sims, I think, has worked out very well for a 58th pick in the draft. I thought Kemba was worth a shot. Um, you know, I I, don't, I can't think of anything I would have done. To, I just don't think it worked. And I I think Nick Nation is so accustomed to not just like basic fucking up, but like spectacular fucking things up that it's hard for some of us to recognize that like not every off season that fails is somebody's fault. That. What happened to the Knicks this year is what happens to a lot of teams who aren't, you know, in the lottery for six or seven years at a time. Like, this is what happens.
1: Yeah, hey, I mean, it's tough to argue with that. Um, and I don't think the Knicks front office has missed on a pick yet. Yeah, um
0: they've done very well. The the
1: closest thing I can mention is Obi. And it's funny because everyone talks about Obi being taken over Halliburton or Cole Anthony. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, if we had IQ and Maxi and RJ in the backcourt with Deuce off the bench. I mean, IQ, Maxi, I don't know if you watch Tyrese, Maxi much. Uh, I think IQ, Maxi and RJ would be hell on both ends. And so much fun to watch, but I love I, I love Obi, and that's not a bad pick. But they haven't missed on a pick. They haven't taken a bad player. Like there's, uh, and like it, forget bad player, right? I like Frank Nellikino a lot. Uh, I don't think he was given a fair chance. He wasn't put in the best development situation. But Obi is, I mean, it's fair to say Obi is their worst pick. Even you know whether or not you, uh, uh, you know, account for it. Based on the eighth pick thing, uh, and that doesn't have to do complete with Obi, but also he's behind Julius, isn't a very good shooter. Still, think about it. any kind of mental gymnastics you might or might have to do. To uh, I don't think you have to do mental gymnastics actually to to justify the Obi pick, but we have to do a lot more with Frank. That's just the reality, um, and orders of magnitude more with Kevin Knox. And even more than that, for you know other guys, right? So, like, and that's their worst pick. Obi is their worst pick, and he's still significantly better than picking Frank. Like, no, that's not knocking Frank, but it's just like he's so easily translated to making a positive impact. So,
0: yeah, I don't. I think they just think they had they had a tough season, um, and we'll see where it goes. I want to close by asking you a trivia question here. Um, I was looking up Nick coaches today, and Tom Thibodeau, with the win last night, is now at exactly 500 as a Nick coach, which makes him 11th in Nick history as far as winning percentage. There are 10 coaches who have a winning percentage above 500 with the Knicks. How many of those 10 coaches, Stacey Patton, can you name?
1: David Fizdale? of course.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, all right, I'll start Red Holzman.
0: Pretty sure Fizdale is literally last. Uh, <laughs> I think I saw that. Yes, Red Holzman, of course. 6'13", retired up in the rafters. He is number one. Well, Pat Riley. Yep, Pat Riley is number one in winning percentage.
1: Jeff Van Gundy.
0: There's three of them.
1: Uh now this is getting tough. Um Mike Woodson?
0: Mike Woodson is on the list, yes.
1: Oh, I want to say by the way, here's a side note. I I'm gonna assume he's not on the list. IQ in a Mike D'Antoni offense would be fun as hell with this pull up shooting.
0: Mike D'Antoni suffered. Two non-competitive seasons as they tanked for LeBron, so he is not on the list.
1: But I'm right about what I said on about quickly. You Quigley. are
0: correct. Uh,
1: I think quickly would have averaged 25 a game playing with D'Antoni, especially with like Mitch or Sims or anyone he for that matter. Like though no, D'Antoni would have put Randall at the five and let them run pick and roll. Yeah. That would have been fun. Yeah. All right, so
0: Holzman, Riley, Van Gundy, and Woodson. There's three more. I'm sorry. There's six more.
1: Um,
0: I got seven of the ten. There were three that I did not get.
1: That is a tough one. I think I might just. Most of my lifetime has been not good coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my lifetime has been Riley Van Gundy and then the Abyss. Yeah. Um I mean, obviously knew about Holzman. Um oh, could it could it be Don Nelson?
0: Don Nelson is Really? Yes, he that- finished over five hundred? Don Nelson that- when he was fired was probably twelve or fourteen games over five hundred. That's when the Knicks had like much different standards.
1: That's crazy that like we had Don Nelson and um and Dentoni, who both you know, were like the but we've always been known for being, I guess, not as innovative.
0: It did not really work great with either one. Um so you got half the list now.
1: I'm trying to think backwards. Um mm-hmm. did Isaiah have a no, he couldn't have, right?
0: He definitively did not have a winning record. Yeah. He never, no, had, a, I, he never had a winning season.
1: I feel like it's because, like, a couple of the guys I mentioned are, like, not guys I thought would have had a winning record. Mm-hmm. Um. <sighs> um... It can't be Larry Brown. Literally Larry Brown.
0: half the, the coaches on this list coached Ewing.
1: Hubie Brown?
0: No, Hubie Brown, not.
1: Man, we really fucked up then, huh? Because Hubie Brown's a GOAT, and we didn't get a winning record with him.
0: Um.
1: Oh, you already mentioned Thibodeau, right?
0: <laughs> Thibodeau's 11th. He's, he's, he's right at 500. I don't think any Nick fan besides maybe more of Albert would get all 10 of these.
1: Just trying to think who else I can think of. Um, did Willis Reed ever coach the Knicks?
0: Willis Reed did, and
1: he is one of the names. He is one
0: of the names. He's wow. Nice. No. Late 70s, early 80s, Willis Reed coached. In fact, the last time Willis Reed was fired by the Knicks, he was replaced by Red Holzman.
1: That's, I think, I'm not going to get any more than that.
0: All right. So, two that you definitely heard of Rick Patino. Um, wow. And for a brief one year, I think, Stu Jackson also had a winning record. Also,
1: I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. I didn't Stu Jackson. No, I know. I, that was, uh, Oh. That's 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 more my time, Matt. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Jackson.
0: Anyway, oh, sorry. Yeah, that is not my time as much. um The last two, one of them I've heard of, and one of them I have I had not. So Joe Lapchick, um, who coached the Knicks teams in the early 50s, who made three finals in a row, is on the list. And then this man only coached one season with the Knicks, but he coached their very first season in 1946-47 before there was an NBA. His name is Neil Kohalan, um, Cohalan, C O H A L A N. Neil Cohalan, the 10th Nick coach who has an above 500 record. So there is your Nick trivia for the day. Everyone, go, go write an email to one of these 10 Nick coaches and thank them. Uh, there have been 31 Nick coaches, in case you were wondering. So there are 20 with losing records, but we'll spare you that one for today. Um, what
1: do you mean to say Derek Fisher didn't have a winning record?
0: I will double check <laughs> with, with our interns, but I don't Kurt think... Kurt Rambis? I don't, I don't think that Fornisek <laughs> is on the list either. Um, and Herb Williams did not make it. Lenny Wilkins, sadly, one game below five hundred
1: um, ah, As
0: big yeah. coach, so...
1: Well, he had he had plenty of other... Uh, he was pretty good at the side Lenny did okay.
0: So. Lenny did all right. Um, so, yes, that will be all for today's episode. Knicks have four games next week. Um, Sunday they are in Detroit. The next night they host Chicago. Wednesday they host Charlotte in a game that may or may not still matter for their fading play-in and hopes. And then next Saturday, um, they will host Cleveland in an afternoon game. Only a couple more games after that. Wow. There's only... There's eight more games this year, so um, for Stacy Patton, Matthew Miranda, that's all for this episode. We will catch you next week in the penultimate, penultimate week of the season.